Good morning. Wow, a little more trickly trickle in. <laughs> this is odd. I said to April, I leaned over to April and I said, "This is strange, eh?" Like <laughs> used to used to empty space, but it's so good. But so good, it's life giving, and it's timed perfectly because it's springtime, and uh, everything's coming back to life, right? And so it's beautiful. It's good. Okay, so let me start. Um, We're going to take a pause on the Sermon on the Mount because I want to spend this Sunday and next Sunday reflecting on this whole last few days of Jesus' life and the resurrection, of course. So one of the things to start with is um, I like to observe people. Now, I don't mean stare at people. (laughs) Okay, so there's a difference. And I'm sure most people are probably like this, but I like to, if I'm in the mall or where there's a crowd of people, you know, I I wonder, what what has their day been like? I wonder what baggage they're carrying. I wonder what drives them, what's their passion in life. You know, I wonder if something stressed them out today. I wonder these things, right? These different things. And uh, uh, I would say three or four years ago, I found myself, didn't find myself, I I was at a cafe meeting, going to be meeting somebody, they weren't there yet. And I was the only one in the cafe, so the only person I could look at was the barista. And uh, I, I, I didn't stare. It was just, I just, you know, noticed him. And he was a simple fellow. You know, he was maybe in his mid-30s, quiet, very plain-looking clothes. And I thought to myself, well, he's an unassuming fellow, <laughs> right? And I'm not exaggerating here, but no sooner had I thought that those words when... I heard, what if that's me? And when I hear those words, I know who it is that's speaking to me. It's the God's Spirit speaking to me. And that took me aback like that. Because there was something that was exposed immediately. And there were a lot of questions and thoughts that raced through my mind like, well, you wouldn't have thinning hair, would you? Right? Like, you wouldn't be like that, would you? You wouldn't be quiet, would you? You wouldn't be unassuming, would you? Like, you. And it was this thing that came exposed was I had created Jesus in a certain image. I had certain expectations of what Jesus should look like. And then the scary thought that went through my head was how. Would I then even recognize you if you could look like anything other than what I have in my head? Right? And it was like, uh-oh, we got a problem here. And I had to repent, rethink my ways. And it's not something I could do on my own. It was Jesus I need your help right now (laughs) because I don't know how to do this. This is a hard one for me. However, the good news is I did have a change of heart towards the religious leaders of Jesus' day because I've always thought of them, as Hollywood has portrayed, as snooty, right, arrogant, self-righteous. And then the thought came to me, huh, maybe they're not. Maybe they were just like me. <laughs> and they created an image of the Messiah that was to come in, in their head. And so that when Jesus came, they couldn't even recognize him. 
and was like, maybe I should go a little easier on those guys. <laughs> or, or <laughs> maybe I could have just been like them very easily, right? It was just like, it was less like, wow, wow. And uh, because I would imagine they would have been thinking, well, if the Messiah comes, surely he will choose me to walk with him, show him the ropes. Surely he would hang out with us, wouldn't he? Well, of course he would. Like, we're the elite. We're at the top. (laughs) Yeah. So, God has a way of calling us up short when we least expect it. And on that note, I do want to welcome you to Holy Week and to Palm Sunday. And we now begin the descent towards the cross, remembering that when we walk the Jesus way, the way down is always the way up. Always is. You'll notice that in Scripture. That's where Jesus is at. That's where he's at. Now, as you know, Palm Sunday, generally in churches, focuses on the one passage that is about the triumphal entry of Jesus coming towards Jerusalem. You know that one? And it's all Hosanna to the Son of God and all that, right? We know that one. I'm going to read to you right now from uh, one of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, from Zechariah chapter 9, to begin. And this is what it says. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations and his realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Three things I want to highlight from that passage for you. And I want you just to, we're not going to delve into it. We're just, I just want you to file that in the back of your mind. And those three things are one, the king is described as humble. Okay. The descriptors that are not used is that he's going to be mighty and powerful Those aren't the descriptors. The descriptor, the first one is that he is humble. The second thing to take note of is that he is on a young donkey, not a horse. Not a horse. Does that matter? Hugely. Very intentional what he was doing here. The horse represents something that is power, The horse represents victory. The horse represents triumphant. The donkey, the young donkey, represents peace. That's what the donkey represented. Significant. And the last thing is that he comes with peace, meaning he is not coming with weapons. 
He does not come with weapons. What we read there in Zechariah was that the weapons are destroyed. They're gone. That's not how your king comes. Your king comes humble on a young donkey and comes with peace. And that is your king. And this prophecy in Zechariah was fulfilled just days before Jesus went to the cross. And this account, what's interesting is this account is recorded in every gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record it. That's significant because they all don't record all of the all of the accounts. They're not all the same. They're not all the same. Which, by the way, that's a good thing. You know, people will say the Bible contradicts itself. The gospels contradict because one disciples or one one writer says something different. Uh 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 uh. That means that's that's very that makes makes them a very credible witnesses, right? Because we all see things differently and we all highlight different things that we observe on different events and that. The account I want to take you to is found in Luke's gospel, and I'm just going to read it to you. And the passage is Luke 19, 28 to 44. And the version I'm going to read from is, my, is the New Living Translation, which I generally use. And uh, the reason I'm choosing Luke is because Luke highlights, he tells a part of that story that we don't hear a lot. And I want you to hear it. I want you to hear what Luke adds to this. And he's not, it's not that he's adding his own thoughts. It's something he saw that stood out for him that he wants his readers to know. And Luke was a very accurate historian. He was very intentional and very careful what he wrote. So let me read, just hear the word of the Lord here. And it goes like this, starting at verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And, oh, if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Lesson here. If ever you get a prophetic word from the Lord, that you feel the Lord has given you a word for someone, just say the word. Don't expound on it. Don't add your own two cents worth. Don't just say the word. That's a lesson there. They just said He told us to say the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. (laughs) And so it continues. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. I don't know if that was the tune, but it says they sang. So singing and praising. So, But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said... Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And then Luke continues with the story. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. 
how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. And they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. And your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Now imagine if you were one of his followers on that day or one of his disciples and you've gone from witnessing Lazarus being raised from the dead to this great triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Everything is mounting, getting bigger and better and better and then your leader is you see him weeping as he sits on the donkey and he utters this prophetic word of destruction that will come to Jerusalem. It's not exactly what you would have expected to hear. And that's the rub. Our expectations of what we expect, how we expect Jesus to respond, how we expect God to respond. I think if I was there and it's one of his followers or disciples, I might have said, hold on a second here. You just said, like, are you supposed to be bringing peace? And if you're bringing peace, why don't you just bring peace? Why do you got to say this word? They're listening. People are hearing. Like I would have said something. I would have put both feet in my mouth. He probably wouldn't have responded. He probably just would have given me that look. Like you don't know what you're saying. Shush. When I think of Jesus' words, when I think of what the prophecy in Zechariah says, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed or thought, Lord, bring peace to our world, would you? Or bring peace to my workplace. Or bring peace to my family or peace in my heart. Please, God, would you bring peace and I don't know if, if, if you're the same, but for some reason, I have this notion that Jesus is going to fly in to my situation and smooth it out. There, like making a bed. <laughs> Get all the wrinkles out. There. Doesn't that feel better? Because he is the Prince of Peace, is he not? That's what he said. That's what we say at Christmas Prince of Peace. And then good old Luke has to throw that one statement Jesus made that makes absolutely no sense. And you go, I don't know what you're saying there, Jesus. <laughs> this one. Jesus says, this is Jesus' words, do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? Yes. No, I have come to divide people against each other. Well, that's confusing. Which is it, Jesus? What are you doing? What's the deal here? What is going on? Because why doesn't Jesus just bring peace? Good question. And the answer is actually found in that prophetic statement he made while he was on that young donkey. 
His statement was, how I wish today that you of all people, speaking of the people who lived in Jerusalem, would understand the way to peace. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is. But he has shown us the way to peace. He has shown us that. The problem is not everyone likes his way to peace. Because what we really want is come into my ruffled up life and smooth it out, please. Just make it all better. And then I can be happy. Right? That's what we want. That's really what we want. Why people don't like it is because the world loves what they want to see, a powerful and mighty ruler. We want the king to come, if we're honest, we want the king to come with weapons and smite the enemy. We want to see that. Then it would be all better. We'd feel better. We would. That's not God's way, guys. It's not his way. And that's where the rub is in, right? God's way is love your neighbor as yourself. I, now, I've said this, and you may think I'm oversaying this, but I want you to just stop for a minute here. Think of that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and logic it out that if every human being could practice that, would there be peace on earth? Would. So does Jesus come to smooth everything over? No, he does not. He does not come to do that. The Jesus way, that way, is very counterintuitive, meaning it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't line up with our way of thinking. And in that sense, it is divisive. Because it does separate people. It's not how we want people. We get this battle that goes on with one another. Even within ourselves, we have it. Humanity naturally wants, naturally balks at this, right? It actually goes, whoa, I don't like it. It's just there's something about it that we, that there's an aversion to it. Because really what it is we want, if we're honest, we want peace on our terms. I want peace on my terms. We, I can have peace in my home if only the kids would behave. If only my spouse would do what I'd like her to do. But you do understand, she's thinking the same thing about me, right? We could have so much better at home if only Scott would. <laughs> right? It's true. It's what we want. We want, I want peace on my terms. That's hard. <laughs> so then we have to go back and ask the question, how is it that the people of Jerusalem didn't recognize it when God visited them? It would appear that their expectations of who God is prevented them from recognizing God in Jesus. Because that's not how we see the Messiah. The Messiah would be for us, not against us. And he's definitely against us, right? They'd be thinking. 
But as a result, they were incapable of knowing Jesus. They never got to know Jesus and being known by him. And there's the thing, when you take the time, when I take the time to know Jesus and to be known by him, then how he looks, talks, dresses, eats his food, whatever, doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter. Because it's not, it's, it's about knowing him. Remember what John records in John chapter 10? We all know the story, right? Jesus says these words, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice. That's what they recognize. And they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name, leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. See, I get it wrong sometimes. I get it wrong a lot of times, actually. But that day when I was sitting in the cafe and I heard the words, what if that was me? I knew his voice. I knew it. And I listened. I wish he hadn't pointed out something in me that I'd never thought was there. But I knew he loved me. And I knew that voice. And I cannot, I cannot emphasize just how important it is if you're a follower of Jesus to know Jesus and to be known by him. Making, having those times with Jesus, the intimate moments with Jesus, a priority in your life that it takes front and center place. It's not easy, but it's so important to know his voice and to be known by him. Both Tab and I, we are both 100% sold on it, adamant about it, won't budge from it. Because here's the thing, you can study about Jesus till the cows come home, and did you know you can still not know him? You can know all the facts of the Bible, you can know it inside out, you can know all of that, but if you haven't, had that God is a person. God wants relationship, longs relationship with you. And he wants you to be known. He wants you. He loves you. He longs for you. When you come to know and are known by Jesus, recognizing him doesn't have to be a concern. You'll recognize him, whatever he looks like. We have no idea what he's going to look like. We don't know. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Why? Because we know him. We know that voice. We know it. It's as we, when we worship today, we have that last song, we exalt you, O oh God. We exalt, we lift you up. It's not because he's some mighty powerful with weapons and he, he's going to smooth everything out for us. Uh-uh. 
There's something about God. There's something about Jesus that we're just, that has captured our hearts. And we just want to sing out to him. We just love you so much, so much, so much. Here's the funny thing now. And I'll leave you with this. As I've thought about this this week, about knowing and being known by Jesus, you know, the last few weeks I've been referring to that African phrase, Ubuntu. And I realize, because Paul uses the phrase of being, of knowing Jesus and being known by him. Paul uses that. And it dawned on me. I say to Jesus, Jesus, I am only because you are. That my humanity is bound up in you, right? I am only because you are. There's something about Jesus that puts within us our humanity. He is the way. And he stands and he says, follow me. All I've got to do is follow. So simple. So simple. So simple. Just quietly pray right now. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Jesus, what would you say to me right now? And then listen. And remember, your humanity is bound up in Jesus. Let him speak to you right now. I just get a sense the Lord loves his kids. God loves his kids. He loves, he joys over you. He knows your pain that you carry. He also knows the dreams you have in your heart. He also knows the longing in your heart to be closer and sometimes not knowing how to get there. And I hear him saying, just sit still. I'll come to you. Just sit still. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you.